or gospel according to Mark. Mark didn't really write the gospel, or he did write the gospel, but it was really Peter's recollection of the gospel. If I was going to title something, which I haven't really titled any of these, uh, I kind of subtitled them, I guess, if you look at the website and you're looking for any of the stuff that we've been teaching on. Uh, there's a part of the website uh, on Mosaic that's called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes means the preacher. Uh, all our audio sermons are there. And uh, I've kind of subtitled each one according to uh, the context of uh, whatever it is we were talking about. So this one, if I was going to title one, I was going to title this one Farming 101. Let's just make it simple. Let's keep this simple, right? Um, This past Wednesday, we stepped into the second chapter of Isaiah's prophetic book. If you're not joining us on Wednesday, you're really missing out. It's our best time. It really is. It's... I guarantee you, we laugh a whole lot more on Wednesday than we laugh here, and you don't have to listen to half as much as me talk, right? It's shortened down to like 10 minutes. I barely talk. I actually, we feed you. How awesome, right? You get a lot more out of Wednesday than you will on Sunday. But as we went through, we go through, we're in the second chapter of Isaiah's prophetic book, and it's not coincidence that on Wednesday we found ourselves reading a verse from his chapter that would have a significant impact into what we're going to talk about today. In chapter 2, in verse 4 of Isaiah's prophecies, he prophesies of a day of when, and, and this is, I'm quoting Isaiah, they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruny hooks. And, and let me explain that a little bit before we kind of tackle into this. Uh, the idea is that there is a time uh, when we are to engage in war, where we will need the, we needed the tools of war. We needed these things to fight, to exist, to, to move forward. But the implication is that we're no longer a people who use our gifts or our tools for war, but rather they will be fashioned into something else. It doesn't mean the work is done, like, oh, the war is over. No, it means something, it's time to pick up uh, and work. It reminds me of the World War II generation that uh, all the women had to go to work and they, they worked hard to make all these things so the guys, while they were gone, could exist and move ammunition and tanks and airplanes and stuff and all these things they did. And when the men came back, I mean, like, they just had to go back to work, like, Hey, I'll just, I, I just spent four years on the ground from flying in and almost dying because they were the first paratroopers of their day, <laughs> right? I was being shot at by Germans, flew down, jumped in, lived, managed to survive four years of Normandy, Battle of the Bulge, uh, Foy, uh, all these epic battles all the way into the Eagle's Nest, like the 101st or something like that, right? And it's time to go home. Guess what? You got to get a job because your house payment still needs to get paid. Guess what? Electricity bill? Still do. Still do, Right? I mean, that's just, just because the war is done doesn't mean the work is over. And this is what this is the implication here that while these gifts or these tools are there for war, but now it's time to fashion them into something that helps us farm the land. The plowshares for tilling the, sto- the soil and like stirring up minerals. You know what this is. It's the little V metal thing that drives itself into the ground and like tills everything up and gets everything uprooted. And it, and it creates the line, right, by which you can like st- get everything lined up, right? So you can sow the seed, right? So you can cultivate the majority of the land so you can see the soil content. What's it look like underneath there? Is it all dry and brittle? Is, it, is there anything moist underneath there, right? And then the pruning hooks are for harvesting the crop when it's due, which is in time, right? 
so from objects of war into tools for farming. Isaiah prophesies a time when this will actually be a kingdom principle, when we will take the things that we meant to hurt others, right? And we will use it to help others. Now hear me, because this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. You can say amen when you're there. I like it. I like it. All right. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And there, then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they had planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, this parable is widely known, and I'm not going to give you... Uh, more than likely a new truth from this this morning. If anything, my only hope is that somehow that you really see it for what it is. It's a wonderful truth, and, and it's a, there's purpose found in it for all believers who are in Jesus. And this is a calling, not just to a few, but this is a calling for all who abide in Jesus. It is spoken, it's veiled in mystery, and that means to those that can understand it are those who have eyes that have been spiritually cleansed so that they don't have to wonder at what this uh, uh, transformed life or what all this is saying, they can understand it. They can see it as it's simple, right? And what he's saying, like in something like this, we, we're, we're going to take the things. And, and my hope is, is that we take the things that were for war, right? Uh, things like um, things that you use today for your protection, right? We automatically, when I said war, tools for war, you immediately thought of swords, right? Because it said... We're going to make plowshares, and we're going to make things that could reap and harvest. But can I tell you this morning, some of these things that you've developed as a protection system, like your sarcasm, your wit, your attitude, your cleverness, your intelligence, your muscles, your physical abilities, and now begin to use those things for the glory of God. And hopefully, not just in a way that, again, we use those things sometimes to protect ourselves, and in doing so, we hurt others. But now, how do we use those things, right, in a way that will cultivate, cultivate, and harvest, right, a crop for the Lord, right, which is what? Spreading the news for Jesus Christ. So here Jesus is. He's the teacher. And this whole chapter starts with the phrase, once again. So this is to imply it's always a regular habit of Jesus to just teach wherever he goes, Right? How awesome is that, by the way? I mean, like, shouldn't that be like a pretty good characteristic from us? Every time I see that guy, man, he just keeps opening up his mouth trying to tell me about stuff. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I always hear when people tell me, oh, every time I'm at my grandpa's house, he's always telling stories. Praise God he's telling stories. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll learn something. And today's nothing different. Jesus is still teaching. The good news is still being scattered. This parable is the tale of how the good news goes out. That's what it is. 
It's simple and, and it's, it's almost poetic. And it's hugely important. So thus the reason, like he immediately starts out, we saw the word what? Before he even spoke, he said this, listen. I think if Jesus says listen, it's probably a big deal. <laughs> right? He says, you need to listen. Hear what I'm going to say. Now, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Right? A lot of you will listen to the things I say today. You'll be able to quote it back. My, I'm guilty of that with my wife, by the way. You're not even listening to me. Yeah, I am. You said I should do the dishes. Da, da, da. But you're not hearing me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not hearing you. <laughs> I can totally repeat back what you said. I just have no idea to the context for which it said or whatever. Right? There's a difference. So from here, he tells us the tale of a farmer and the simple plight of a farmer, as well as the difficulties that the farmer is going to struggle with. The farmer in this parable has only one job. Right? Zit. He is to plant the seed. He does this by scattering the seed. Now, this part exists primarily of him getting up out of the bed and going outside to the farm. The, the work of the plowshare has been done. All right? We, we know that it's been done because he's at the process now where it's time to scatter. Right? So he's, 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 he's gone out. It's time to strap the grain sack on his neck. If you hadn't seen how they used to do it, they used to take this sack that went around them and they carried it like, you know how like we do babies now. Like you've seen those things? We like grain sack babies now. That's what we do. And they just take the little grain and they just they throw it out everywhere. That's what they did. Nowadays, we got that cool little contraption. We just walk around with little wheels and it just spits it out. You've seen those? They're awesome. I got one at the house. And I don't use it for seed. I use it for insecticide or whatever like that. Kill bugs in the yard. But it's awesome. It shoots it out everywhere, right? So he's got this thing around his neck. He's scattering everything. He's throwing it. Now, it lands somewhat wherever it wants to because he's just throwing it, right? In this parable, it lands in four very specific places on a footpath in shallow soil in an area that's full of thorns and in fertile soil. These are the four areas. To plant every seed individually would be way too cautious and time-consuming. Can you imagine? It's like, I got to follow the line. One, two. And I don't know about you. Uh, have you seen some of these Illinois farms? 5,000, 6,000 acres. And it's just straight up corn far as you can see. I mean, as far as you can see. Can't imagine planting one seed at a time. Man, I'm just throwing this stuff out. I'm going to throw out a whole bunch of it and hope it takes, right? I mean, that's what I'm going to do. And so the farmer is, after all, he's, he's also controlled by another thing, the seasons. Can't just plant anytime. If you plant in the winter, it's going to die. You plant in the summer, it'll, it'll welter up. It needs to be strong by the time the heat hits it so it can survive. So there's certain times of the year that you can only plant. So think about it. It's for, but in this scenario, it's time, to see, it's time to sow. It's time to throw seed out there. It's time to do this, right? There is a time to plant, and there's also a time to harvest. But when it's time to plant, you have to plant. For there will be a season of growth in between the planting and the harvesting. Sometimes that's a lull season for us and we feel unproductive. You know, the Bible says that the man goes to sleep and he knows not how it grows. He wakes up, it's grown, it's time to do it. And the Bible says that. And so what, what do we do? There are seasons when it's time to sow. And when it's time to sow, we scatter it everywhere. And then we wait. That's the hardest season. The hardest season is the waiting, right? Right before the harvest. Like the harvest is like, yay! That's why we always like it when somebody else sows and we get to harvest. Yay! I get the fruit of your labor. Awesome! Sometimes we don't think that's awesome, but it is. 
right? This is how it is. It's important. It's important. Most farmers, you know, I'm off where I'm supposed to be. So the farmer scatters the seed everywhere and he hopes for the best. And while the growth of the seed is beyond your control, there are some things you do have control of first as the farmer. Let's deal with this. First and foremost, you're in control of yourself. It's your responsibility to get up in the morning and be ready to work the field. What does that mean? It means different things for different people. For me, it means getting up early in the morning and praying. Saturating my day in something so I don't have to worry about decisions later. You know, one of the great things I heard somebody say, the the, the irony is we're not necessarily friends, but it was such a great thing to say. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to pray for all my decisions. All the decisions I'm going to make today. Lord, whether they're yay or nay, may they be the sovereign hand upon them. So if the decision is no and something doesn't work out for me, that's, I take that as I prayed for that already this morning. It must mean God said no. So it's not the will of God and I move on. I don't have to linger on how bad I wanted it so bad. God, I can't believe I'm not getting it. It must be the devil. No, no, no. I prayed about it. If God said no, if God wants to open the door, God wants to close the door, I'm content with those doors being wherever they're at. Why? Because I prayed about it. I got up in the morning and I ate God's word. I begin to read the Bible, begin to look at the Bible and see God's Word. Those are the morning things for me, and that's got to happen early, right? Even one of the things that I couldn't stand uh, as a full-time, or let's say full-time, a full-time or full-paid or whatever you want to call it, pastor, uh, was that uh, I I always was a firm guy that believed you don't get paid to pray between 8 and 5. If you want to pray and you're a pastor, you get there before the church begins. If you run an 8 to 5 hour, during your 8 to 5 hour, you do not get paid to pray. Your, your prayer life and your private life with the Lord extend far beyond your hours at the church. All right? Same goes in life, guys. Same goes in life. That's why I, have an early re- I, have a, I get up early. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the face of the Lord. And then I'm going to spend my day doing whatever I need to do during the day. But all that's done. I have to be an early riser. That's my responsibility. That's not anybody else's responsibility. Whether you get up and pray and read your Bible is not my responsibility, but I can tell you, it's going to help your life. I can't make you help your life, but it'll help your life if you do that. The sad thing is that most people I will meet as pastor, I know what will help them, and I will tell them what will help them, but they will not do what will help them. And at the end of the day, most people's demise are at their own hands. God has, like, given you the truth. He doesn't make you eat the truth. That's on you, right? The responsibility of the field is your responsibility. You can control you, not anybody else. I can't control the seed. I can't control how the ground works. I can't control all the exterior things, but I can control me, which means as the farmer, I've got to get up. Most farmers are early risers. They do uh, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it's going to take a majority of the day. Most farmers work until dark. You also have control of the work. You decide how much and for how long you will scatter seed. Will you work till the entire field is done, or will you give up after a few hours because you're tired? How far your arm can throw the seed is entirely up to you as well. 
It's important that the seed be scattered to as many places as possible. Where it ends up isn't your job, nor your worry. Your job is to scatter the seed and find happiness and contentment in the process of the work. You're supposed to be okay with that. Like, I don't know how it's going to grow. But I'm going to tell you right now. Can I tell you a lot of people get hung up there? But I planted and I planted, God, and I'm not seeing it. And I'm not seeing it. Trust the Lord is the hardest thing we do. Trusting the Lord it will be the hardest thing you do. That's why it requires faith. What is faith? Faith is, is trusting in things that are unseen. <laughs> unseen. Which, by the way, if you don't believe in God, it just looks like foolishness. Are you believing in what? Nothing? I mean, by the way, anytime anxiety, stress, worry about things, that's kind of an idea where faith starts to take a, a dive. Anxiety over something is almost like temporary atheism. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Hardest thing we'll do. Listen, I'm not judging anybody there. I struggle with that. Everybody struggles there. But this is the hardest thing we'll have to do. Your job is to scatter the seed, find happiness, right? Ultimately, this is your purpose. And believe it or not, this is worship. To be content and obediently happy with just scattering the seed. And doing what the Lord tells you to do. And that should be enough. You know, I think one of the greatest hungers that I see a lot of Christians have that, they, that begins to struggle uh, is when I see people, they're so excited. They're so, I just want to do so many things for the Lord. Great, great. But if you, if, if you were to sit there and wait on God, would you be content with waiting? Because right now, 10 good things wouldn't beat one godly thing. I'm just saying. I, I honestly think today the church is caught up in good things. You know how I know the difference? Because there's no, there's no scattering of this. There's no harvest out of it. I've seen massive $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 outreaches that not one soul gets saved. Those are good things, by the way. Where we, the, the amount of help that's gone out is unbelievably amazing. But not one soul harvested, good thing. But not a godly thing. Can godly things be good things? Godly things are goodly, good things. Is it, is it a bad thing if it not, not a soul gets harvested? No. But what's the purpose of the church? To just be good? Or to tell others about Jesus? Listen, the captives don't get set free because we handed out free stuff. The captives get free when we hand out the good news. The seed being scattered is way more important than anything else we do. That's our responsibility. It's our purpose, like I said, to be content and obediently happy in the process, in the work, is what God's called us to. The irony to the work is in the seed, right? Once the seed leaves your hand, it would seem everything is rooting against it. Everything. All right? It lands everywhere, first of all. Everywhere. Into every crack, into shallow soil, into fertile soil. But also, the birds chip away at some of it. The thorns choke out the rest. The ground is not very forgiving. <laughs> it's just not. Nothing is easy. Not even growing. The most obvious thing in this parable does is, to, at least to those of us who play the odds or like are analytical at all, and this is, used to be the one thing I used to see about it and be so frustrated. God, you're telling me I've got a one in four chance that this thing's going to work out. But that little quarter of a percent right 
has in its ability to produce a crop equal a hundred times more than what was actually planted. So I throw the seed everywhere, and that little part that lands good makes up for the rest. So to sum it up, the work is hard, the growth is hard, but the small chance of success will produce a massive crop. However, this isn't about farming, isn't it? It's not. Jesus wasn't giving an agriculture lesson, right? He's not talking to 4-H students. It's not happening, right? It's, 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 he's speaking in, in, a, in like a cryptic code about kingdom principles. It's not always easy to understand what he's saying, but the great thing about this particular passage is, is that it also shows that Jesus is approachable if we'll just ask him to unveil such things. Like, Lord, so what does this mean, God? I mean, is the preacher telling the truth? Is it about these things that we're talking about? Right now, up to this point, I've talked mainly about farming and if God's called you to farming. At this point, I haven't revealed anything else. Uh, I've only shared with you what the actual Bible has written about it. But in verse 10, Jesus has this to say. It says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Let me be clear that this is still the precedent for all things today. Hang on to verse 10, guys. If you are struggling to understand something that's in your Bible, you can still go to Jesus and ask him, what does this mean? It's the reason why this morning I could come to you and go, man, with a new set of eyes, I saw some things that I hadn't seen before. Why? Because I went to Jesus and go, I don't understand what now, I believe you've led me into Mark and explaining to them what Mark is going to say, or at least the gospel saying about this. Lord, how do I approach this? How can I teach? I don't see it. Well, let me show you. That's the precedent for today. It's not what does your pastor say. That's, it's not what the latest book is going to say. What's your Bible say? And, and better yet, have you asked Jesus how to read your Bible? He's still disciples. Guys, believe it or not, he was resurrected. Jesus is still alive today teaching and showing and discipling people. If you're struggling to understand something, you can still go to him and ask. You might have to wait. You might have to dig in and search him out. But I promise you, he will be there to help and bring you understanding. And so they asked. They asked what we always ask, right? I don't understand, but I want to. Will you help me? Oh, yeah. uh, Why do you use these parables? I mean, because they don't understand either. Like, why are you talking so cryptic? Why are you talking around something when you can just talk straight to something? And verse 11 reveals an insightful answer as well. He says, I use parables for everything. I say to outsiders. So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. The use of parables to hide truth forces us to Jesus for everything. Well, if I come right out and tell them, what do they need me for? If I came out and told you all the secrets and everything's revealed, what do you need me for? But see, I've given you a taste of it. So that now you're going to have to ask going to have to learn how to come to me you're going to have to learn like know this that i'll give you all the truth but you got to learn to search them out right this kind of stuff forces us to humble ourselves and say i don't understand jesus will you help me parables are stories that contain a spiritual truth that is hidden in plain sight these hidden things cultivate a spirit of searching and in searching for the truth we find exactly what we're meant to find not the truth as it is written but the person of truth that leads us into the way the truth 
and the life. And there is no other purpose. No other purpose. About to get some visitors. This parable isn't about farming. It's about Jesus. Every time. It's awesome. This parable is not uh, uh, about farming. It's about Jesus. This parable isn't uh, about farming. It's about how we tell others about Jesus. This parable isn't about farming. It's about how the good news is spread throughout the world. And this parable is important. It's the first of many. Understanding it and your role in it will help you as we tackle more parables in the future because that's what's coming for us. Mark 4, back to Mark chapter, or chapter 4, verse 13 through 20. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? See why it's important? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or persecuted for believing God's word. The seed fell amongst the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but are all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. So no fruits produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Every truth that can be pulled from this parable doesn't come from our superior intellect. It comes from Jesus. Jesus reveals to us the secret truth, and really, it's a kingdom truth. He teaches us, he reveals to us the image of the Father in the Son from parent to child. And the same with us this morning. From parent to child. What does he reveal? Our part to play doesn't change, does it? Now we just know what kind of seed we're scattering. The seed is the good news of Jesus. It's the news that grace and mercy are now the forefront of everything God is doing. And while sin is keeping us from God, grace through the cross and the atonement on the cross is going to free us in a way that has been unprecedented up until this point. Our job now is to scatter that good news everywhere. That's your job. No doubt about this is your purpose. There is no place we're not to throw it either. Notice that. There's like, well, why can't I just throw it on the good soul? That's not what God told you to do, is it? He said, throw it everywhere, everywhere. There is no argument as to where it's supposed to go. Should we throw it on the footpath where the birds might get at it? Even that is fine. Some will grow, even in the harshest of environments, right? I mean, this is probably one of the toughest ones as Jesus describes the birds who act on behalf of the devil. And as soon as the word is planted, right, it is immediately under attack before there can be any root growth whatsoever. But notice the devil comes looking like a bird and not a dragon. Notice how that is. You think that's coincidence? The devil often comes as something we least expect. Even a natural process. Still, there's still hope for the seed that falls on the footpath or we wouldn't be throwing it there. You ever seen grass grow up through the concrete? It's amazing how a seed can survive. 
even the harshest things. Look at Iraq. How about Iran? How about I know guys right now doing uh, mission trips in Syria, Turkey, where it's all but stomped out and the devil is full reign there. Should we throw it on rocky terrain and soil? This is fine too. After visiting the Rocky Mountains a couple weeks ago, I can absolutely tell you that there are full-grown trees birthed between the rocks in various places. I mean, like, my backyard, okay? We were laughing about this yesterday. There is a shed in the back that I never get into. It belongs to the guy who owns the house. I rent the house. And it has a little concrete walkway that sits right in front of it. Now, this was there before I got it, and I just... I don't want to pay attention to it. Or it just was always there. Like, he never got into it apparently either. But the tree when I got there was like this big around. That tree's like that big around now, right in front of the door. Grew up right through the concrete. How many know sometimes the seed makes it in the rockiest places? In the places where they shouldn't be making it, it still makes it, right? Can I tell you, they say that if we quit driving on all the roads right now, that the grass and all that stuff would be grown up and cracks would be growing up all through it within 15 years. It'd be hard to recognize. The seed is powerful. You underestimate the seed. Doesn't mean that it's not a harsh environment, but you underestimate the seed. Right? Sure, there were plenty of places there in the rocks and in the Rockies where it choked out vegetation, but there's still many that are going to make it. In reality, Jesus reveals that the seed which falls in rocky soil is just happy to see the ground at all. Unfortunately, most of the seed never makes it to where they can stretch themselves out and grow roots. The weather comes, blows them away, or the sun burns them up. Jesus reveals that adversity shows up in problems and persecution. At the hint of difficulty, and because they have no roots, they're not able to stand at all. Come on. That'll preach right there all by itself. I can't tell you how many people I've seen come and go in the church because it just got hard. Most people I meet when they first get saved, your first year is your worst year. Because everything under the sun is coming against you. Because your whole life is changing. Everything that you thought you knew just got turned over. I mean, come on. To know Jesus is to have your depravity revealed. So all of a sudden you have this different take on how you are. Because to love Jesus more means to also see how you truly are and how you have desperate need for him. The only way you can feel that is to have an actual depiction of the darkness of your heart. you got to know how bad your sin is that you need. That you got to know that you were the one who nailed him up there. you got to know that you were the one who jabbed the spear in. you got to know that that's you. That's you. Eventually, they fade away into obscurity. They leave the body. They leave the church. They quit talking about Jesus over time, and they ultimately fade back into the world. Thirdly, we see the seed grown into the thorns. And yes, this is okay, too. I believe that there are many today that are born in the thorns. Just going to let you know. They're never able to fully grow because they're constantly, uh, the constant choking of life that's around them. They're like always these baby Christians. They're always stuck in this rut. They're, they're always struggling. Jesus reveals these, this to be those who are stressed out. They live in anxiety or worries of the life. The bills pile up. The lure of money thinking this idea is going to fix everything in their broken life. And this mentality begins to take over. 
And they're never able to produce fruit because you're too busy worrying about you. My, my mentor, he has a genius thing he always does with me. Anytime I get upset or I'm mad about something, or anytime I get on a soapbox about something, like I can't believe the church is like this, or da-da-da, or pastors are like this, or, or whatever, when I get on my soapbox, first thing he asks me, and I just want, I'm glad he lives in Arizona because I want to kick him every time he says this. But he goes, how many people have you won to Jesus this week? How many people have you told about Jesus this week? And I'll be like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, super spiritual comeback. There's some truth to that. When life is all about you, pretty good chance you're not telling anybody about Jesus. And it's, I'll save that for later. You can never produce fruit. Most people in America live here in the Garden of Thorns. That's where they live, man. The church is combating the thorns all the time. This is like they live there. It's like, on, it's like in the edge of us all the time. There's thorns everywhere. It says all kinds of stuff, right? They struggle with joy and peace and spiritual happiness because the longing for worldly things hang around their necks. They're so busy trying to survive in their eyes that they simply make no time to spiritually grow. They're just like, I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to make it. By the way, Jesus isn't fond of trees that don't produce fruit. Just letting you know. He one time cursed one to death because it had the appearance of fruit but didn't produce any fruit. Those that walk among us not are necessarily one of us. You might have a tree that looks healthy. But that just, if it ain't producing fruit, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. If you can't reproduce, what are you existing for? You're sucking up oxygen. I hate to say that. That's just the way it is. And you, tell, you know how trees multiply, right? They grow up the seed like pine. Looking at the Rockies, man, they got pine cones everywhere, everywhere, right? Most of them can't grow. Why? Why? Because there's so many trees anyway that it blocks out the sun, and they got no place they can grow. They can't get in, right? It takes a tree to die, sun to come in, and a tree can grow up in its place, right? It's a lot like the Amazon. I don't know if you've studied any of the Amazon stuff. Trees don't grow in the Amazon unless a tree dry, a tree dies. Then there can be new growth, right? But you got to produce seed that drops first to the ground so it can produce growth. You at least got to produce the seed. You got to be a tree that produces. Lastly, we finally see some seed on good soil. And this is the soil that produces and multiplies. And this goes without saying, doesn't it? We know this soil when we see it. We call them zealots, fanatics, amen, preachers, prophets, apostles, disciples, Jesus freaks. That was a popular one in the 90s, awesome one. Right? And the list goes on. Sometimes these people annoy us. Amen. Amen. It's true that not all people who talk about Jesus religiously are actually in good soil. Sometimes I think they're birds. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> I said, Jesus, uh, I better not. <laughs> uh, and that's a different discussion. Let me rattle your brain for a second. and We'll, we'll kind of close with this. This is kind of the thing that as I begin to cultivate this and just try to like mine it and dig it up. So we're all the farmer. This is the truth of the parable. However, can I, let me ask you some questions here. Just pose this. Thing. Which soil do you come from? That's something for you to think about. It's not for you to like raise your hand and say, okay. Are some of you bird survivors? Are some of you the... Uh, 
the only shade in the rocks? Are some of you best friends with the thorns? Because you've just lived in anxiety so long, you just come to accept it. Like this is as best it's ever going to get for you. Any hope is choked out by all these other things. Whether it's stuff, maybe I need the next new this or the next new that. America is dying. And it's taking you with it. It is lost in materialism. It is lost in lust. It is lost in idolatry. It is lost. It is lost. But you don't have to be. Where did you grow up? I mean, I'm just curious. And maybe here's a better observation. What if you grew exactly where God wanted you to farm? So if you grew up amongst the footpath, maybe you're called to the footpath. Maybe nobody battles birds like you do. Maybe you're a bird survivor. And you remember what it was like when the devil came against you and your family. And maybe God's called you to help out others struggle with birds. Maybe, maybe you grew up there in the rocks and can understand the difficulty of trying to live in the cracks and the crevices. And then maybe God has birthed a heart in you for those struggling with problems and persecutions in the world. Maybe that's why you need to get on board with some of these missionaries and things. I'm about to introduce, I know we've got a couple of missionaries. We've got a missionary coming in next week. We're going to support Jason Morris. He's in Vietnam right now. But I've got another one. We're about to, uh, we're going to support Live Dead Ministries. And we're about to start doing some mission trips to like Turkey, Egypt, to some scary individual places. Why? Because I'm a bird survivor. That's why. I feel called to where the devil is. The toughest and the meanest places. Bring it on. They're also the scariest places. It's the devil. But we're going to support them as well. But maybe that's, what, maybe that's why. Maybe you come from a place like that, right? If you're a plant growing up in a garden of thorns and you survive, do you think God has maybe placed you there to help others conquer anxiety? Stress, fear, greed, and hopes of helping others maybe survive? You ever think about that? I never thought about any of this before just the other day when I was going through this. Never thought about this at all. Never thought of it like this. Never looked at them as a mission field. You think about that? There's four fields here. There's four things that are happening in the one field. There ain't but one ground, guys, on planet Earth. It's all the ground. We're supposed to scatter seed in every country, every nation, every place we go. Some of that ground's going to be footpath ground where there's birds everywhere, like locusts. Some of that place is going to be rocky, and they're going to have worries and persecutions taking place, and it's going to be ugly. Some of the ground that we're going to go throw seed in is going to be thorns, and it's anxiety, and it's ridden. By the way, that's probably here, all right? And the good soil, praise God when we find it. We're all excited when we see good soil come to fruition, right? Those are the easiest one to spot. Too often, you know what we end up saying? We put all our baskets in the good soil. We say, man, thank God for the good soil because the good soil keeps the church going. But the seed's supposed to go everywhere. That's your responsibility. And if you have come from good soil, then you've been taken care of like no other. And can I tell you what your responsibility is? 
Your job is to be the farmer 100%. If you came from good soil and you say, man, the Lord hit me and I got on fire, man, and I've seen so many people come to Jesus, and man, you can literally, uh, uh, my, my friend Stephen one time was in church and, and uh, the pastor called him up and said, Stephen, like how many people uh, are here today because uh, Stephen McKnight has led you to Jesus and you're here today? And it was like 40-something people stood up in that church. Forty-something people, that's good soil. And that guy was an 18-year-old, mad, angry, half-dope-dealing, uh, not, things not right in his life, got saved, heard the gospel uh, in youth, got, got radically saved and told everybody he knew because he loved Jesus. He was a farmer 100%. He's still farming today. He's still farming today. God gave him bigger, a bigger field. You scatter the seed everywhere, and you hold out hope for everyone, even for the seed on the footpath, even for those living in the thorns, and even for those who are living in the rocks. You hold out everywhere. That's your responsibility. Now, I don't, I, I'll be honest with you. I never see anything like this. <clears throat> I have probably taught on this passage a handful of times. I have never saw it like that before. That is the glory of the teacher. Jesus the teacher is how it starts out. That you can just go, see, I'm telling you a story, and then Jesus goes, now let me explain how it is. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the wonder of God, that we can approach the Scripture, say that we've read a thousand times before and never seen it like that before? In this morning, that is my hope to you. That is my hope to you. That, uh, you will see it like that, that you will start to ask the question today, what field are you from? When I said those things, how did you relate to that? Are you, do you sympathize with those who are like, you understand the whole birds? Do you understand the rocks? Is that you? Like everything has been difficult to you to get to where you are right now, to grow to where you are right now, you've overcome so much adversity, it's unreal? Or you struggle with anxiety? Everything forced against you because of materialism and, and, and uh, uh, idolatry. The self-worship self is so great. Has it messed up your identity, given you stress, given you anxiety? Uh, has, has all of this Americanism really started to play its part? And like you're always in the thorns. Like you feel like you can never get out. You're always half choked. If that's you, do you relate to that? Do you, you know others that are that way? Maybe, maybe, maybe you've gone through what you've gone through to be a beacon of light for somebody else to tell them, hey, it's worth it. Stick it out. Stay with it. Stay with it. Right? And if you're good soul and you're like, man, my whole like, I feel like my, my kids are probably like that, like not tainted by the world. They hadn't had, they're, if they're going to experience the harshness of the world, it'll happen outside my home. And they're going to feel it for the first time. Or maybe not. We've tried to do really good and not shield them too much, but they're going to have to experience some things. They're going to figure out real quick whether they're the good soul, whether they're going to go live with thorns or what. By the way, at the end of the day, it's all Jesus. You know that, right? Like Jesus is going to make sure you survive. Like Jesus is going to make sure. Some things, you know, we see with the birds, some of it's beyond their control. That's why we keep throwing seed. Birds get fat too, you know. They get hungry and it's done. You keep throwing seed, you keep throwing seed, you keep throwing seed, you keep throwing seed. What do you do tomorrow? You get up in the morning and you go back to farming. 
Guess what you're going to do Monday? You're going to get back up, and you're going to go farming. You know what you're going to do Tuesday? You're going to get back up, and you're going to go farming, right? By the way, Jesus is a way bigger taskmaster than I am. He said, if anybody looked back from the plowshare, that you're not fit to be my disciple. Secondly, he called for a six-day work week. Don't get mad at me. Mm -hmm. Some of you are like, I I disagree with that. That's not godly at all. That's the Bible. He called for a six-day work week. He said, one day of rest. You know why? You know why I think that? I think you got too much time on your hands right now. I think when you're not working, you usually, most people, when they're not working, are probably, or my experience with most people, when you're not working, you're usually doing something you're probably going to regret. When we have idle time, idle time usually gets us in trouble. Just saying. Go, go, go look at any drug rehabilitation center. Go look at any alcohol rehabilitation center. If you give those guys one hour or two or three hours or a whole day off, they are finding where to go get drugs. They are finding where to go get alcohol. They're going to find a place. They're going to do those things. Idle, an idle mind is a mind that can be tempted. Work. Work hard. Give yourselves to the labor. All he's asking you to do is just tell somebody. Tell somebody. And listen, don't make it awkward. Hey, man, if you die today, are you going to hell or heaven? Do you know? Don't do that. By the way, that's how I was witnessed. It was awesome. Totally worked on me. I came from the bird life, man, where literally, like, that could happen tomorrow. I could literally die. <laughs> like, I felt in my life like that's a highly plausible thing that could happen at the time. I was right out of the Marine Corps. It's like, yeah, I could totally do drugs tomorrow and totally be dead. That could possibly happen. So that was a good approach for me. And maybe for some people that is a good approach. I will say that because the glory of the gospel is that when you really are honestly scattering the seed, Jesus will make do the rest. He's not asked you to grow it. He's not asked you to go beat off all the birds and do all this thing in this parable. He didn't ask you to do all those things. He said what? Scatter the seed. Get up. You are in control of you. Go scatter. Go tell people the good news that they're set free from anxiety, stress, and worry. Right? Do some gardening, man. Chop some of that stuff down out of their life. You you might not be able to get it all because in the end, God takes the wheat from the tares. But make no mistake, you can help it. Do your part. Do your part. Look for the opportunity. We're going to worship. I love it that the Lord uh, uses us, that he doesn't just, you know, make us walk around like robots, but that God uses us to be his hands and feet. And I'm so grateful because when we do get to be a part of the harvest, it's such a beautiful thing. And so I'm so thankful that um, we are a part of his plan and part of the things that he, he lets us be a part of. So. So this morning as we sing and as we worship the Lord, um, ask him, ask him where you can be his hands, where you can be his feet, where you can farm. What is your spot to plow? God has put you in so many different circles, so many different places, and only you are there. You are at your work. You are with your friends, people that we will never see. 
just pray that God will give you a holy boldness to speak to them and to look like him. And maybe that's just a smile. Maybe that's just a hug to somebody. And that is spreading seed. But let him do a work on your heart this morning. Lord, we come this morning and we say thank you. Thank you that your love is so big.